It's Talking Twins and More with Nix and Naomi. Thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au. It's Talking Twins and More, a multiple birth podcast with myself, Nix, and joining me as always, my wonderful co-host, Naomi Dorland. Hello, Gnomes. How are you going this week? Hello, Nikki. Another week, another joyful time talking to you. I know. It's always fun. It's our favourite time of year to catch up. Favourite time of year. Favourite time of the week to catch up over all things multiple related, our debrief. And uh, we've got a special guest joining us this week. We do indeed. I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit, but we have joining with us all the way from Tasmania, Tegan. Tegan, welcome aboard. Thank you. Tegan, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and, of course, we want to hear all about your multiple journey. Yes, so I'm Tegan. I live in Tasmania with my husband and my three-year-old twins, Jude and Leo. Um, I work full-time in a job um, for a bank in social media Um, and, yeah, just... um, been a crazy three years <laughs> having twins that's for sure so you I have just thinking three that was that was a hard time I remember three. Oh, everyone always used to say the terrible twos but gee I found three difficult yeah yeah I can definitely agree with that <laughs> yeah it's um yeah there's no shame in saying it's hard yeah um, you think at the time newborn twins you know like I mean the sleep deprivation is hell don't get me wrong um, with newborn twins, but you think, oh, yeah, no, I've done that. I'm right now, but no, it's <laughs> three is difficult. <laughs> that is exactly how I feel. I was like, oh, you know, just give me baby cuddles. Like the sleep was awful, but baby cuddles over these tantrums. Yeah, the assertiveness, it's a real challenge. <laughs> yeah. Finding their own fate. Well, let's go back to the beginning. So obviously, um, you, how did you come about finding out that you were pregnant with twins and what's your story? Um, so my husband and I had been trying to conceive for nine years um, before we got our positive. So we had to turn to IVF um, to have children um, due to my endometriosis diagnosis. Um, so I had actually always wanted twins, um, which I now know is pretty insane of myself. But <laughs> at the time, you know what you don't know. <laughs> um <laughs> I even said to the IVF doctor, you know, can I get multiple embryos? And he's like, no, no, not in Australia, not unless, you know, all these criteria have been met. Um, And, yeah, after my second single embryo transfer, I got my positive and at my six weeks and I said to my husband, there is two babies in here. And he's like, that's impossible. You had one embryo transfer. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I have got two babies in my belly. So the next week at the scan... I was just laughing hysterically while my husband went white. The doctor went white. <laughs> he was going through all his paperwork to make sure that, you know, he'd done the right thing and only transferred one. Um, and, yeah, there was my little miracle twins. Wow. Oh, exciting. So, I mean, I know this can happen. I'm, I did IVF as well, but I um, I did transfer two embryos. Um, it was, I was a long, long journey as well. Um, yeah. And so they're identical or do you have one natural and one? They are identical. So the embryo split, yeah. How exciting. So what made you think that there were two? Like you said, you know, you were like. 
just mother's intuition maybe like I just knew like I was without a doubt I was already showing at six weeks so I by 10 weeks I was wearing maternity clothes you know I'm not a exactly small woman but I would never sort of like I was popping out of everything nothing could do up and I was like okay this this is not normal for just someone having one baby and it was after we had the scan that I sort of clued on that my HCG levels were double what they wanted me to have and I probably should have clued on by that but I didn't. Yeah right gosh so talk to us about your pregnancy how did um how did that go was it smooth sailing for you or you had a few bumps or? So my pregnancy in itself was actually great I was one of those annoying people who loved being pregnant I can count the amount of times I vomited on one hand I you know I was exhausted I really struggled with exhaustion through pregnancy but um other than that I was pretty good like nothing really got past me I had some swelling and things like that um but then at 29 weeks I pulled down my suitcase to start packing a baby bag to, you know be really organized and um sort of pulled that down put two things in it and thought oh no I'm gonna have a really early dinner and then I'll come back to it um and just as I finished eating dinner my waters broke <gasps> so um yeah, I hadn't, I probably should have patched that bag a week before that. Wow. Um, but having your husband and childless best friend pack your baby bag is probably not ideal, I would say. Um, but, you know, they did what they could do. Um, but, yeah, so I, I live in Launceston, Tasmania, which is, you know, quite a small little area. And we can't actually birth kids under 32 weeks in Launceston. Um, then hospital's not set up for it, so especially twins. So they put me on an aeroplane to Hobart pretty much as soon as they could. So I went into hospital at 6.30 and I was in Hobart before midnight. Wow. Um, and I spent the next two weeks there on bed rest um, with constant monitoring. Um, I have MCDA twins, so it was only one sack that broke, which ended up being twin one who's Jude. Um, so yeah, he was head down and engaged and ready to go. And he, but my labor didn't start for about five days afterwards. So I got to get steroids on board and, um, everything like that. And then I started to labor and I was still planning at that point to have a vaginal birth. That was my plan. And I said, said, yep, I know I'm going to have an epidural, but this is what I want to do. And they were happy with that up until Jude started showing distress. So um, I had about 15-minute warning to get ready for surgery. And at 31 weeks, the boys were born down in Royal Hobart. Wow. wow. Um, what did, your, did your husband come down with you? or? Yeah, so we were quite fortunate at the time. I guess we knew the risks of identical twins and sharing a placenta and we'd had fortnightly scans for twin to twin and all that sort of things. So um, I was actually due to go on maternity leave at 31 weeks. So I'd started winding down at work anyway. So I just texted my boss from hospital and said, hey, sorry, my maternity leave starting now. Um, and my husband was with some of his work friends when he got the call from me to say, you need to come get me and take me to hospital. So they were sort of aware that something was happening. And once we got down to Hobart, they just said to him, 
you to take the time that you need. He was like 13 years into his position at that time. So he had heaps of sick leave and everything. So it was really fortunate that he was able to stay. We were in the private hospital while I was on bed rest. So they let him room in with me. Oh, wow. Um, and then just before the boys were born, we did get a spot at the Ronald McDonald House. So that's what we called home for the next few weeks after that. Oh, wow. That's like a baby moon. No cooking, no cleaning. <laughs> yeah, look, it wasn't an ideal baby moon, but um, <laughs> we never got the baby's clothes washed or the nursery set up, but we did um, have meals delivered that were sometimes okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so talk us through your NICU journey then. So um, the boys were born at 31 weeks. Was Yeah, so the boys were born at 31 weeks and we, so we were in Hobart. They were in Royal Hobart Hospitals. So although I was a patient at private, they were a patient at the Royal. So I got discharged, I think, on day three after birth um, and moved into Ronmat then. The boys, so Drew came off CPAP the next day after he was born and we were able to hold him that next day. So I, when they were born, I didn't get to hold them at all. Jude was taken straight to the NICU. They brought Leo back um, all wrapped up to sort of see me. Um, So I had about two minutes with him before the NICU team came back. And there was about 20 people in my theatre when I gave birth. So the two NICU teams for each child, two um, obstetricians for each child. Um, And, yeah, so it was pretty intense and I sort of just got wheeled off to recovery and my husband went down to the NICU. So that was not ideal, not exactly how you would imagine a birth to be. Um, And then they took me back to the NICU on my way back to private. So... Um, I was sort of laying on the bed and got to see where they were. Um, and then the next morning I was the first one in the ward up and about after birth because I just wanted to get to my babies. So, yeah, Judy came off CPAP that morning and I was like, we were able to hold him, but Leo was still quite in distress. So the I think it was day two or day three my husband got to hold him um, I had the first hold of Jude, so he got the first hold of Leo. And when he was holding him, he went into distress pretty quickly. So I didn't get my turn that day. I had to wait till the next day. Um, but he was off CPAP then. So it was only a few days on CPAP, which was really fortunate. Um, the night that they were born, they were the biggest babies in the NICU. So we were quite fortunate. They were quite robust little things. So they were 1680 and 1750 grams so about three pound um and yeah so they moved into the special care nursery I think after a week probably which was really really good um still in humidicrib still on nasal gastric feeds and this was all at around Christmas time the boys were born on the 16th of December so we didn't get transferred back to Launceston until the 30th or the 31st of January. So, oh, sorry, of December. So just before January. So we got to spend New Year's in Launceston, but we missed Christmas because um, we were in Hobart. So we did a bit of a mad, it's about two, two hours, two and a half hour drive home. So we drove up for Christmas breakfast and then drove back to the babies um, on Christmas Day. 
And, yeah, it was such a relief getting transferred back to Launceston um, and they moved into waterbeds about four or uh, five days after we got to Launceston and out of the Humida Crips. That was like their first time wearing clothes as well. So they were about three weeks old at the time. And then it was that same day that Leo um, started having apneas so he head back to the NICU um, at that stage. So about five days after we got back to Launceston, um, he ended up back in the NICU, um, had to do spinal taps and everything like that to try and figure out what was wrong because they thought he might have had meningitis. Um, so that was a pretty scary time. Jude mm. was just a little warrior through all of this, the one that broke his waters and then just chilled the whole time. Um, so he, yeah, so we, that was probably not like, that was probably the most scary part of our NICU journey was going back to the NICU after being in the special care nursery. But within, I think four days, he was back to the special care nursery and they were back together. He just spent a little bit longer in a humidity crib then. Um, and they were discharged at 37 weeks. So yeah, so they did really, really well from there and just sort of kept going up and up. And as soon as they could tolerate suck beads, we were able to take them home. So, and yeah, they've just been, they're probably like the biggest kids in their daycare class now. They're like huge boys. You would never even know that they were prem if I didn't tell you. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, it, it's such a scary time, isn't it? It really is sometimes like that NICU thing, two steps forward, one step back. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's hard work. And yeah. when did your, um, because if you were down in Launceston, uh, sorry, down in Hobart, you didn't have any family support around either, I guess. No, so we had family coming down. It was fortunately before COVID. Um, we got discharged probably a month before all the COVID nonsense started. So we're very, very fortunate in that way. We were both allowed in the NICU and we were allowed to have a visitor in the NICU as well. And they were pretty lenient with those rules as long as there weren't too many people around. So we were able to have family come and visit and meet the boys in the NICU, but no one was sort of there ongoing. We had a friend that came and stayed overnight once, mm. but yeah, we did anyone that just sort of was there with us and supporting us through that journey. An incredibly isolating journey, isn't it? I mean, and it, and it's one of those things and you've touched on it a couple of times and it's certainly something that I know that um, Naomi and I went through. You, you have these preconceived ideas as a woman growing up of what childbirth and what those first moments are going to be holding your baby. And when all of that's ripped away from you and is such a completely opposite experience, it's really hard for you to get around mentally. Like I know it probably took me almost a year to actually be able to think and talk about you know the you know the whole delivery of the boys just because again a, a lot of our experiences as multiple parents is very traumatic yes yeah, so i actually was diagnosed with ptsd 18 months after the boys were born so i probably should have seen, seeked help earlier and that's always my advice um is to go and get help and you know do what you can but it's also hard when it is such an expensive thing and you're on maternity leave and stuff like that. So I completely acknowledge that as well. Um, but, yeah, so I was diagnosed with PTSD and went through EMDR therapy with a psychologist and that has been amazing. Like, you know, two years ago I couldn't have sat here and told you 
what I'm telling you now. Like I just couldn't rehash those moments. So that has been completely life-changing for me. Yeah, and that's amazing and good on you for having the strength to acknowledge that, um, see that and and certainly not, you know, beating yourself up for for waiting a period of time but getting there and then, yeah, being able to then talk about that. Yeah, certainly. I think mental health, especially with multiples, is so like such a tricky playing ground and it's something that my husband and I definitely advocate for because he was diagnosed with parental anxiety and depression um, about three months after we brought the boys home. So he was our rock through the whole NICU stuff where uh, I was a bit of an emotional mess. And then as soon as we got home and with the sleep deprivation and things like that, he's just been ongoing struggling. So um, he's still in um, seeing a psychologist now for help. Um, and he's really open about that and makes sure that that's something that's talked about because I think, you know, we think of postpartum depression and anxiety and we think of the mother and we, I don't think we often consider how it affects the father and especially the multiples you know they're not the secondary parent they're very much the parent that's there right with us they're also doing the feeds they're also doing the changing um and you know he took a bit of an extended period off work so he really had that full experience that I guess many mothers have but it also came with its toll Mm. I think it is so important to acknowledge the partners in all of this process um I think, yeah, it, it. I look back over. I definitely had postnatal depression um, I, or some, you know, something going on. And um, I think it's harder to recognise with as parents of multiples because that first twelve to eighteen months is so exhausting. Anyway, I mean, it, don't get me wrong; it's yeah. exhausting for a parent of of any singleton of kids and babies, multiple babies under certain ages. But when you've got those two needs, you've got two kids and particularly with a lot of the NICU babies, you know, that they don't settle well, they've got a lot of those premature digestive issues that tends to lead to colic. You're so caught up in that moment. It's really easy to mistake um, the anxiety and the depression for just being the vortex of exhaustion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And our boys were both colic as well. So we definitely had all of that. And, you know, not being able to settle your child, it takes a toll on you for sure. Especially when you're a first-time parent, I think, um, as all three of us were, you know, we're first-time parents to multiple babies at the same time. You don't know what is normal and what's not not normal. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. And and then you've um, got the added layer and I know Naomi and, and Tegan and uh, my boys were conceived surprisingly naturally. However, I actually suffer from severe endometriosis in a different capacity as well. But when you've waited and you wanted it so much, there's also that added level of emotional stress that you can't, yeah. um, you don't want to feel guilty. You don't want to feel sad. You don't want to dislike any of those moments because you've fought so hard to get there. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely. I know that um, that women that go through IVF have a really high chance of postnatal depression purely for that reason. You know, you're like, gosh, I paid fifty thousand dollars to have these babies <laughs> in the yeah, end. Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. And, and many years of heartache. And they and and appreciate them and love them and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, of course, I do. But at the time, you're like, oh, what have I done? Well, when when you haven't slept, you can't get them to sleep. Your eyes are falling out of your head. And you feel emotionally like you're on an emotional roller coaster yourself. You know, you're sitting there putting that extra pressure, going, I must love every minute of this. It's it's so hard. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, Tegan, sounds like you're doing well. So how are the boys going now? 
Yeah, they're really good um, because they were December babies. Although they're only three, we're actually in kindergarten next year. So because they turn four this year. So I have, you know, meetings with schools next week and I'm just sort of flabbergasted as to how that's even happened. I don't know where this time has gone. Um, but, yeah, so they're just doing amazing. They're, we haven't had any ongoing health concerns or anything like that. Um, they're just these normal little boys that just run rings around us and they've really started doing that, like, oh, no, mummy, call me Leo. And I'm like, so, <laughs> Drew, do you want to be called Leo? Yes, Leo now. And I'm like, oh, you are going to be hell for your teachers. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was like, oh, they're poor teachers. <laughs> yeah, they are really cheeky. So I think, yes, um, you know, prayers for anyone who has to deal with them in school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, it's... Tegan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, now, how can people follow along to see more of your journey? Yeah, so I share our journey over on Instagram. So our handle is twinning.with.tegan. So... Um, if you like to follow us, just search for Twinning with Tegan and you can see my cute little boys as they grow up and a little bit more about our life and the crazy things that we're getting up to. And you got oh. quite a big following from what I can gather on Instagram. Yeah, that was a bit of an accident really. A video that we took of the boys in the NICU went viral. Wow. So got a lot of followers from that. So it was definitely just like a little private page where I shared my IVF journey, which then I thought, oh, I'll get my family and friends to follow that to find out more about the boys. So I'm not spamming, you know, all my friends with pictures of my kids. And yes, it kind of just kept growing from there. So I was like, okay, I guess we're just going to take this in our stride and make it a thing. So yeah, that's it's like a little extra thing that I do on top of working full-time and parenting twins. Yeah, I was going to say, and you're working full-time as well. I don't know how you juggle it all, honestly. Like I work part-time and I'm flat chat. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky to work four 10-hour days. So I fit my full-time work in a four days. And then on Mondays I take the boys to swimming. Um, and, yeah, it's pretty hectic. But I just think, you know, I can slow down a little bit once they're in school I think while we've got daycare and the extended hours we're just making the use of it yeah do it while you can well Tegan it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining us and sharing your full story um again those socials check it out follow along thank you for being a part of it thanks so much for asking me to do this guys it's talking twins and more with Nix and Naomi thanks to twinfo.com.au and doublebub.com.au 